know of someone in your life that is resisting the gospel? Here's an encouraging thought from Pastor Ed Taylor. Those that have resisted for so long will soften and respond. Let me tell you, friends, that gives us hope for the people we're praying for right now. I mean, the ones that are resistant and hard right now. Do you know that often, and this may encourage you, that often those that are the closest to bending the knee to Jesus Christ often give the greatest resistance just before it happens. This is amazing grace. believe that God can save anyone because he saved us. But when we face resistance to the gospel, we can start to get discouraged and even think maybe God can't save them. Well, he can, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've come to Romans chapter 11 that reveals God's ability not only to save an individual, but even a nation. Here with today's very encouraging scripture is Pastor Ed. Well, the sad story of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 is that Israel rejected their Messiah as a nation. The Bible says, John says, he says that Jesus, he came to his own and his own received him not. And it's a heartbreaking thing for Paul the Apostle as he opens up chapter 9 and he says, look, my heart is for the fellow Jew. I would be even willing to give up my own salvation to see them saved. And he says pretty much the same thing as he opens up chapter 10. It's a sad thing. They were set aside as a result of rejecting their Messiah. The consequence was now no longer will... Israel be the vehicle to bring the gospel to the world, but God now turns his attention to the Gentiles. And that is where it stands even today. Israel's rejection led to a new vehicle, the church, taking the gospel into the world. And so in chapter 11, the big questions are asked. Questions that we have looked at already and answered from the word. It begins right there in Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 1 concerns and questions, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? The question is, is is it permanent? Is it complete? Are they just cast away? Is God done with them? Paul answers, certainly not. Strong words, no way. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? I mean, is this a complete Casting away, is it completely done and over with? They've stumbled, now they've fallen, it's permanent. Well, he answers the same way, certainly not. And then in verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We looked at that in depth the last time we were together, but what a glorious statement. There's this hardness, yes, it's a result of their rejection. It's a consequence. Even as in our own lives, friends, when we make bad decisions, sinful decisions, we too will suffer the consequences. 
Now, are the consequences permanent? Not necessarily. Truly, most of the time, they're not. God wants you to recover. It's all in how you respond. Will your heart become soft before the Lord or will it become hard and bitter before God? See, in this rejection, it's not permanent. It's not total. I love this word. It's until. There's a timing in the plan of God. God hasn't closed the door all the way with them. It's not completely closed. Israel has rejected, and this blindness has happened in part until the full number of the Gentiles have come in, that full number of Gentiles that will be saved. We've studied that in depth. We'll pick up in verse 26 now. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. During the great tribulation period, guys, there is going to be a tremendous revival among the nation of Israel. Unparalleled ever before. It's going to be incredible as the two witnesses that spoken of in Revelation preach the gospel. 144,000 Jewish evangelists go out, marked from every tribe, going out with the gospel. It's going to be an incredible thing. And it doesn't mean, though, that every Jew is saved without faith. When he says, well, all Israel will be saved. It doesn't mean that there will be Jews that are saved against their will. It will be a free will decision on their part to receive the good news, the forgiveness of their sins. But it's going to happen. You can jot this down. We've mentioned it before in this section. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it speaks of a time where God will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. I mean, it's incredible. It will all click for those that are alive. It will all begin to make sense. They will look and they will see and they will mourn for their, those that have gone before them and the rejection that as a nation they have made. Those that have resisted for so long will soften and respond. Let me tell you, friends, that gives us hope for the people we're praying for right now. I mean, the ones that are resistant and hard right now. Do you know that often, and this may encourage you, that often those that are the closest to bending the knee to Jesus Christ often give the greatest resistance just before it happens. So there's like a progress, and there's fighting and fighting, and they don't want to hear it anymore. They don't want to hear about the Bible, but maybe secretly they've got a Bible under their pillow when they go to bed at night, and they just start to read. Well, maybe what they said is true, maybe. To you, great resistance and fighting, and I don't want anything to do with your Jesus, and all you talk about is Jesus and the church, and I don't want anything to do with it. And all this resistance is really covering on the inside a desire. You know, maybe they're right. Maybe it's true. I've seen their witness. I've seen their testimony. Well, flip over to 2 Peter, would you? Let me show you something. In the patience of God, you know, God has patience with the lost. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. That's what it says. Now, many, many of you, we're often short-suffering, right? <laughs> like, we lack patience. We're short-suffering. But God, he's long-suffering. Look at 2 Peter with me, would you? You want to mark this. For those of you praying for your family, praying for your friends, I mean, praying for your city, praying for your workplace. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. It says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent 
I hear pages turning. You'll catch up with us. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So he starts out with just get your house in order. You know, make sure you're walking with him. Make sure your testimony is strong. Make sure your life is without spot and blemish up to the ability that you have. Live a righteous life. And then he says, verse 15, consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. His long suffering is salvation. His patience is for salvation. Those that seem just not to care or just are hardened, God, the Bible says, is long-suffering. You get the idea of a long-burning fuse. Long. Takes a long time. God is patient. And you think of, when you look back at Romans chapter 11, it says that all Israel will be saved. And the question has to come up, come on, Ed, do you really believe that entire nations can get saved in one shot? Do you really believe that if you pray for your city, that it's, very, it's possible that the city could get saved? That when I'm praying for my workplace, you know, I'm not just praying for one person, I'm praying for them all. Do you really believe that God is able to save my whole workplace, my whole city, my whole country? Well, look at Jonah with me, would you? Chapter 1. Is it possible? Absolutely. I mean, you can really pray by faith that God can descend upon your workplace, your family, I mean, when you gather together for Thanksgiving and for family reunions and you see all the different nuances of your family and your heart cries out for them, do you really believe that God could save them? I hope you do. I mean, in one shot, they just all get saved. I mean, that long prayer that you prayed at Thanksgiving, you know the one. They just want you to say, bless the food. But you, oh, holy and high God of mine. Nah. I don't know how you pray at Thanksgiving. They just want you to bless the food. Just so you get ready in a couple months, they just want you to bless the food. You're the Christian, right? So the Christian, give up a prayer. Well, go ahead and give up a prayer and pray for their salvation while you're at it. Just pray, God, just pour out your blessings on my family. Jonah, we learn, was given a mandate from God in chapter 1, remember? Go preach to your enemy. <laughs> just go. Tell them the good news. Tell them to repent. I want to save them, Jonah. Tell them. And so Jonah, wouldn't it be great in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, wouldn't it be great? Well, it really in verse 3, wouldn't it be good to say that Jonah arose to preach the gospel? Wouldn't it have been great? Jonah obeyed God. Jonah did what he was told. Jonah was so excited, he went to get his systematic theology and brush up on his message of repentance. He got it all together. He got the MP3. He took it out. I mean, wouldn't it be great? But what happened? He ran away. He arose and to flee from the will of God. Knucklehead. <laughs> Just like us. I don't know. God might put a call on your life right now. And the decision that you've made is to try to run away from God. To run away from your calling. To run away from what God wants you really to do. So the testimony of your life right now is like, you arose to flee and run away from what God's put before you. Here's the deal. You can't run away from God. Oh, no, Ed, you don't understand. Everyone else has failed in running away from God, but I know how to do it. I know all the hiding places. I mean, I've got this. God will never find me there until you, you flip over to Psalm 139 and you find out wherever you are, God is there. You can't run away. And then the story of Jonah's life takes on a whole new flavor as from verses 4 through 17, as he runs away, he gets swallowed up by a great fish. 
It doesn't say whale. It could have very well been a whale. I mean, that's how we remember the story. But it speaks of a fish. It could have been a supernatural fish that God created just for Jonah and named it Jonah's fish. I mean, that's it. Go get him. And he swallowed him up. And the Bible says that he spent time there in the belly of that fish. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how disgusting that was? You ever gut a fish? Just a little baby one? I, st I don't understand why you men and women fish. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You see, if you went to Costco, it's all done for you, man. They're all right there. But I remember I went out. Somebody took me fishing. I actually caught one, and I had to cut this and do and stick my thumb in its guts and push out the... Oh, this is sick. I didn't even eat the thing. Just throw it back. But here, Jonah is in the midst of this fish in its belly with all its gastric juice. You know how when your stomach, like you guys came probably without breakfast, your stomach, and how loud that might be, all of, the all of the acids and all the junk that's going on, it's a place where he came to his senses, didn't he? <laughs> Let me just tell you, you guys all have a big fish in your life when you try to run away from God. You all have a place where God's going to bring you to that place where you come to your senses. You can't run away from God. Now, it's... It's not probably going to be like Jonah. Jonah's that one unique example for us to say, hey, if things get, really get worse, I'm going to create a fish for you, man. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to put you in a place where you can start to think through your will and my will and let me soften your heart so you'll come to know my will is good for you, God would say. And so Jonah, he comes to his senses in relation to the will of God, and the Bible says now as the story unfolds, well, notice chapter 2. I love this. You might want to mark chapter 3, the verse, first verse there. You might want to mark this, chapter 3. Because in chapter 2, he's praying. He's seeking the Lord. He comes to that place of repentance. Well, back in chapter 2, look at verse 7. When, you're, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. You don't have to wait for your soul to faint to remember the Lord. Listen, church. You don't have to get to a place where everything is completely out of control, everything is completely painful, everything is completely just overwhelming to remember the Lord, to keep him ever before your heart. But that's what it took for Jonah. And then I love this. Don't you? I love this. You want to mark this because it could speak to your heart. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Is it not true that... God is a God of second chances? I mean, it's right there ready for you. The God of the second chances was the God there while he was still in the belly of that fish. Things didn't change. God's heart was still there waiting for Jonah to repent. You see, after a bad decision in our lives, See, a lot of what was going on in Jonah's life wasn't necessarily sinful. It wasn't sinful for Jonah to go to Tarshish. He can go to Tarshish anytime he wanted to. It wasn't necessarily sinful for Jonah to be on a boat and cruise the seven seas. But it was sinful for him to disobey God. So there can be things in your life that aren't in and of themselves necessarily sinful, but because of the nature of your heart, you make a decision that is contrary to God's will for your life, and there you are in the belly of a fish. So the God of the second chance was still the God of the second chance while he was stewing in the gastric juices of his own pet fish. Tell that to your kids. <laughs> See that pet there, son? One day it could swallow you. 
oh, mom, no, I won't feed it anymore. But I love this because it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. That must have been a sight. You ever been to SeaWorld where they have Shamu come up out of the water? Anybody ever been to SeaWorld? They got the big Shamu and they bring Shamu up and he says, it says hi to you. Imagine a guy jumping out of his mouth. Like, whoa, Jonah, you were messed up, huh? Yes, I'm done. I'm... The Bible's cool, isn't it? It's all kinds of good stories to teach us that we don't have to go that way. Jonah, after his repentance, after he comes up on dry land, he goes and he preaches repentance to the Ninevites, and I want you to see in verse 5. Remember the question is, can a whole country, can a whole nation, can a whole city, can a whole family believe? Can the nation of Israel, is it really possible that they can all be saved during that great tribulation period? So the people, verse 5, of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It was a city-wide revival with a simple message of repentance and the power of God. And so let it be an encouragement to you when you pray for your family, when you pray for your city, when you pray for your workplace, yes, God can do something crazy all across the board. Because that's what happened in Jonah. You don't have to be rebellious. You don't have to resist God. You can follow through. Back in Romans now, great, great encouragement that God would speak to us directly that he would encourage us. Look at verse 28 of chapter 11. God can save your family. He wants to save your family. His patience, his long-suffering is for salvation. Don't give up praying for your family and your friends. For people, maybe even as Christians, that presented themselves as Christians and presented themselves walking with the Lord, but then they backslid and you wonder if they're ever... Don't stop praying for them. God can change a heart. He changed your heart, right? I mean, look at your life. Just look at your life, where you came from. What's going on in your life? Whether you had a great upbringing or a horrible upbringing or anything in between, look where you are now in your great love for God and your desire to just dwell in His mercy and His grace. I mean, if He could change you, He could change anybody. I mean, there's nobody outside of the control of God. He'll do whatever it takes to save those family members, those kids, those sons, those daughters, those grandmas, those grandpas. It's amazing, incredible. Now, Back in focusing back on Israel now, as we wind down in this chapter, notice verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So as a nation, their rejection of the Messiah isn't without consequences. They've become the enemies of the gospel. They are no longer preaching the gospel. They preach a gospel of works, not a faith in the Messiah. Many Jews today are still waiting for the Messiah to come, and so they become an enemy of the gospel. But notice also at the same time, they're beloved because of the election of God, that God is not done with them. God, in the end, has, he has made promises to the nation of Israel, and God is going to keep them. Concerning the election, the Bible says they are beloved. Now, where does that leave us? You know, in the world today, it's not hard to find what is termed anti-Semitism. That's a real big word to reflect a animosity toward the Jew today. And throughout history, there has been a continual animosity toward the Jewish people, toward the nation of Israel. And a lot of people camp on this one verse right here. Well, they're enemies of the gospel. So if they're enemies of the gospel, the Bible says to do what to your enemies? Love them. And so they're not enemies in the sense that we have some kind of permission to hate the Jew or mistreat the Jew or to become anti-Semitic. No way. 
You can jot this down in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The Bible speaks of the nation of Israel as the apple of God's eye. Oh, I know that they have rejected. I understand that. We lived a lot of our lives in rejection of the Messiah. And yet the Bible says that while we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, Jesus Christ died for us. That he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so there's not room for anti-Semitism for the church. Israel as a nation is our friend. And individual Jews are beloved of God and worthy of salvation as Jesus Christ died for their sins too. God's faithfulness to Israel assures that he will be faithful to you as well. More on this faithfulness to Israel and you too next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. With the COVID-19 pandemic going on, you might have a little extra time on your hands these days as you're at home. Why not pull out a good book that can build you up in the Lord? We'd like to suggest A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. If you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. So, Pastor Ed, not long ago, you wrote a blog answering the questions, Is COVID-19 God's judgment on the United States? As you know, many are wondering about that now. Would you touch on that for the benefit of our radio audience? I found, Larry, that that was one of the most popular questions that was asked and spoken uh, during this time. Uh, Is it the judgment of God upon the United States? And my answer to that, I, I put it this way, the short and long answer is no, and not in the way it's asked. And what I mean by that is, of course, The pains of the pandemic are directly related to the consequences of sin, uh, and we're living under the consequences of many sinful decisions. But the idea that God is judging America uh, is we have to take into consideration that this crisis is, is a global problem, and it's affecting far more nations than simply the United States. But we also have to consider this. We know that we are new covenant believers, and that any judgment from God for our sins has come uh, upon Jesus Christ. He took the full weight of the wrath of God and the judgment for our sin upon himself, so that if judgment does come, it would come to the unbelieving world, and of course us living in the unbelieving world, we would suffer the consequences of that judgment But like there, just like in uh, one one of the great pictures of that would be what you see in the book of Exodus in the Old Covenant. In order to avoid the angel of death, the children of Israel were to mark their doors uh, with blood. uh, And and in that marking, the angel of death would pass over. And, And so judgment came, but God was able to make a distinction. 
And so I think in long and short order, no, I don't think it is the judgment of God upon the United States. However, it is certainly a wake-up call for the Church. And you listening in, believer, I hope that the Lord has gotten your attention through this. It's been very challenging. It's been very difficult, but it's also been very enlightening. Uh, it's been it's been interesting to see what God wants to reveal in our hearts. And I've got a new uh, article that's brewing in my mind. Uh, what are some benefits that have come from this pandemic? Which is kind of a counterintuitive question, but I've been chewing on that. Maybe you have something you can share with me. I would love to hear it. Uh, what are some benefits that you've seen in your life personally related to this pandemic? Send them to me. Would you just go right, send them directly to me, my personal email box, ed at edtaylor.org. Send me, though. Has there been any good things that have come out? Send me a note, ed at edtaylor.org. I'd love to read it, maybe even share it, uh, and be inspired by what God's doing in your life. If you'd like to read Pastor Ed's blog, Is COVID-19 Coronavirus God's Judgment on the United States? You can just visit edtaylor.org. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.